Practical wisdom from the first leader of the Christian Church in Jerusalem. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we study James and how to put our faith into action. We are still in James. We're going to finish James 4 today. And James 4 has been talking about submitting ourselves to God. That that we it shouldn't be our will that's done, but it should be God's will that's done. And that ties in with what we're going to talk about at the end of James, beginning in chapter 4, verse 13. And I think we'll just go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk about it. So James 4, 13 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go out to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. All right, so there is so much to unpack here. I don't even know if we'll be able to get through it all today, but we will do our level-headed best to do that. If the Lord wills, we will get through it today. How's that? (laughs) So if anybody says today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or their city and carry on business and make money, what does that sound like? That sounds like the American dream, does it not? As a matter of fact, the whole entire system of American commerce is based upon somebody saying, I have a plan. I'm going to go to this city or I'm going to go to that city. I'm going to do this sort of thing. And when I do this sort of thing or that sort of thing, everything's going to work out well. It's going to be wonderful. I have a plan for that. That's how the American dream works. We plan for these things. And if you've ever seen anybody with a business plan, they will say things like, all right, this is the product or service I'm going to sell. This is how much I'm going to sell it for. And if I sell so many units of it or if I do so many hours of service, this is the income that's going to come in. And this is how much I'm paying on my employees. And this is the cost of goods and services. And they develop a business plan. And if the business plan shows the bottom line is it's going to make money, then we go ahead and we market that business plan. We find investors for that business plan. We do that business plan. This is what we do as Americans. That is, it's systemic to how we live our life. The thought of not doing a business plan would be anathema to us. I'm reminded of the guy that started FedEx a number of years ago. It was actually a doctor dissertation, I think it was, or maybe a master's degree dissertation. And he said, you know, if we have um, airplanes that, that bring go- goods to a central hub and overnight we ship from one airplane to another ship, you know, we transfer it and then goes out again, we could have a thing called overnight shipping. And of course, back in the, at the beginning of FedEx, before it was even around, people said, no, there, you can't get overnight shipping. But he showed a plan that showed it worked. It was part of his thesis. He showed it to his professor. His professor looked at it and said, yeah, this isn't going to work. It's not, I'm sorry. But, but the guy was persistent. And because you imagine starting FedEx, you cannot do overnight shipping unless you have an airplane that brings these goods and services from cities to a central hub. 
it is an incredible amount of planning and effort and coordination. But he had a business plan. He took it to a bank. The bank authorized the money and he started working on the business plan. And lo and behold, now we have overnight shipping. And overnight shipping has been a boon for a lot of industries, including Amazon, which used FedEx early on, but now they have their own shipping. And now you can actually <laughs> you can actually order something online and it'll show up on your doorstep either tomorrow or today, which in and of itself is just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. This is the American dream. And the American dream is a whole bunch of creative people living in America that says, well, maybe we could try this. And so they develop a business plan and they take it and find investors. And sure enough, the investors say, yeah, let's do it. And, and every, <laughs> every day, it seems like in the United States or in the free world, there is somebody coming up with a new product or service that tells you what it is that you can do. And this is this is wonderful. This is great. So for James to say, ah, you arrogant schemers, <laughs> it just goes against everything that most of us Americans believe in or most of us in the Western world believe in because at some level, this is, this is deep-rooted in who we are as Americans. So let's unpack this a little bit because I think James actually is onto something here. But we need, to, we need to actually just go back a little bit. Actually go back a little bit to the beginning. And you're saying, what do you mean by the beginning? I mean Genesis is what I mean. Because when God created man, he did two things. He, he created man in his own image. It says in Genesis 1, 26, then God, well, here, I'll even read it to you. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. I'll just stop right there. We are created in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but for me, I think what it means is that we have the ability to think and we have the ability to overcome obstacles. We have the ability to extrapolate beyond what we can see. I was watching something on Temple Grandin, who is autistic. And apparently one of the things about autistic people is that they cannot see beyond what they've normally seen before. So in autism, for example, if you change the furniture around for somebody who's severely autistic and they haven't seen the furniture in those positions before, it freaks them out. Even though it's the exact same furniture, it's just in a different layout around the table. It, it's very difficult for them. But aside from autistic people, we as humans can extrapolate the world around us and make predictions about the future that other creatures cannot do. As a matter of fact, mankind is the only one that can actually look into the future and say, this is what I think the future is going to look like. And, I mean, there's other things that we can do. We can create, which other animals can do, but we can purposely create and we get the benefit of being in the image of God that takes our children and creates a future for them. Whereas cows or, or other animals, they don't get to create the future for their, for their children. The, the, the future happens to them. 
But in humankind, we actually get to, in a sense, be like God to our family, to our children and to our spouses and all that sort. We get to not only create life, but we get to create a future for that life, which is just absolutely fantastic. No other animal gets to do that. God created us in his image and that means that we get to procreate and we get to create a future, which is just amazing, absolutely amazing. So God created mankind in his image. Let's keep reading. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just really briefly, that in order to procreate, you have to have the male of the species and the female of the species, and then you get to procreate. If you don't have a male of the female of the species, you cannot procreate. So at some level... If you, do not, if you do not have a male and a female coming together to procreate, you are not fully experiencing the joy that God has for you in your life. That is part of being created in the image of God is you get to create life. Not, not only do you get to create life, but you get to create life out of your own DNA. I mean, just think about that and how beautiful and how wonderful that is. And I will say as a parent that the most beautiful, wonderful thing of my whole entire life was being able to raise my children, being able to have children out of my own DNA and then raise them and continue to raise them to be, to be uh, I don't say master, I don't want to say God. I mean, just, just create a future for them, to be able to mold and shape and create a future for them. It is, it is, it is one of the greatest joys in life. And I tell everybody, this is, this is the greatest joy in life um, is to be able to do that. So anyway, um, then we'll go into verse 28 of Genesis, which says, God blessed them and he said to them, and this is the key verse, be fruitful and increase in number. Then fill the earth and subdue the earth. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is a command from God. It's not a hard command at all. Be fruitful and multiply is not a hard can, a command. Increase in number, not a hard command. Fill the earth, not a hard command. Subdue the earth. It is not a hard command because we're created to subdue the earth. We are curious creatures. We want to know how the earth is made and how we can make the earth better. But both of these things, we talked about this in Genesis, but both of, we did a Bible study in Genesis earlier. So if you haven't listened to that or seen that, that's also available online. But basically, when we came to this, it's basically the whole purpose of mankind is to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. If you do both those things, they are in conflict with one another. Because the more we are fruitful and multiply, the more we put a strain on the resources that God has provided on this earth. So, for example, we're kicked out of the Garden of Eden and there's all these fruits and vegetables outside the Garden of Eden and we start eating them. And all of a sudden, now we've got more people. There's less fruits and vegetables on the trees. So we have our choice. We can, we can go out and find more fruit and vegetable trees, or we can compete and be angry with the fruit and vegetable trees that we have. And basically, it puts a strain on the system. And we as humans have to adapt so that we can have a better future. And so we did adapt and we continue to adapt. And I can't tell you how many times in my life some expert has come along and said, if we don't do X, Y, or Z, the whole human race has failed. 
We simply cannot, we don't have enough water, we don't have enough food, we don't have enough sunshine, we don't have enough energy, we don't have enough intelligence, we don't have enough educated people, we don't have enough, all this stuff that says basically we live in a static world with fixed amount of resources and fixed everything, and if we continue on our current trajectory, it's all going to fall apart. And yet, isn't it amazing that since the Garden of Eden, we have not fallen apart yet? I just, wow, how that happened. It happened because God created us in his image and we have the ability to predict and come up with plans and make the future better than what it is. Necessity is the mother of invention. And so we do these things. This is the whole point of the human existence is to figure it out. So when James says, you know, today or tomorrow, go out in this city and spend a year and carry on and make money. I mean, that is, it seems almost like God commanded us to do this thing. But he says something interesting. He says, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you should say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. I get this image of a person that comes up to a rabbi, to James, and says, hey, I, I'm going to grow grapes in my, in my plot of ground here, and then we're going to make wine, and I'm going to sell the wine, and things are going to be good. And hey, I'm even going to give some of the wine to you, Mr. Mr. Priest, so you'll have some wine too for all the ceremonies and all that sort of thing. And I can just see, I can see a couple things. One is I can see this person. If you're not a person that's used to commerce, if you're not used to business plans, I mean, I mean, then then you're going to say, change. We don't want change. Change is bad. No, 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 no. So I could see somebody like that. But I could also see somebody saying, the one thing I don't hear from your plans is if the Lord wills, then he will bless those plans. And that, my friends, I think is the key takeaway from this part of James, that we, there is nothing wrong. He doesn't say anything wrong about making plans. I think we as humans should make plans. We want the future to look better than it is today. We want the future to be better for our children. We want to solve a lot of these problems. We want to solve malaria. We want to solve coronavirus. We want to solve poverty. We want to solve all these problems that exist in our world. And we know that in order to solve that, we have to come up with a better plan for the future. So we know that this has got to happen. The problem is is that all of our plans are subject to the will of God. And we should acknowledge that God's will is stronger and more powerful than our own will. That if God doesn't want it to happen at some level, he can stop it from happening. If God wants it to happen at some level, he can make it happen. Because God also has a plan for this world. It's his plan. And if we're followers of Jesus... Our prayer should be, Lord, let my plans be aligned with your plans. It's not, God, please align your will with my will. It's the complete opposite of that. It's, Lord, let my will be aligned with your will. So whenever we as Christians make plans and make business plans and think about business decisions and how we're going to do business in the future, it is awfully arrogant to us to not include God in those plans. As it is, we boast in our arrogant schemes and the boasting is evil. Man, this is, 
I think about the people right now in Washington that are coming up with the the vaccine and the whole coronavirus thing and all that and trying to figure out how to how to distribute hundreds of millions of vaccine doses to the world around us and how it's all going to stamp out everything about the pandemic and and even me thinking that by November you know we'll we'll be through this second wave and think and it's possible that life could go back to normal I, it is awfully arrogant for me to say that. Well, first of all, it's arrogant because I don't know anything about the field. But second, it's arrogant because you just never know. You just never know. And so every plan that we have in this world, we should stop and consider, is this what God wants us to do? And we should also stop and consider that God is bigger and more powerful than any of our plans. And so we should we should pray, God, please, please, Look after this plan. Help me develop this plan. Let me understand that this plan is okay and that it's aligned with your will. And Lord, if it's your will and, and everything in this, then please bless this plan. We should not stop adding God to our equation for any plan for the future. Because if you don't add God to your plan, you're being very arrogant. I think about in contracts. Contracts is where somebody says, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and you're going to do X, Y, and Z. A contract is a promise of a future plan, right? And oftentimes, in most contracts today, especially if it's something big, there's there's this uh, terminology called a force majeure. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's basically that if there is something in the world that happens like a war or a pandemic or an earthquake or something of that nature that disrupts this plan, then we're both off the hook for this plan because we have no control over God. We have no control over the things that can happen that we have no control over. And so they'll even put clauses like that in a contract to kind of make sure because because we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We can make all the plans in the world, but God is more powerful than any of our plans. And it is awfully arrogant to say that this is what it's going to look like in the future, absolute certainty. I'll give you another example of this. When I was an engineer, one of the things that I did, believe it or not, was in a field called transportation planning. And just really quickly, what transportation planning is, is somebody in a in an ivory tower sitting somewhere in the state of Arizona or in Tucson makes predictions for where the traffic is going to be in the future. And that is done through a whole series of models, which is basically where the population shifts going. And right now there's a population shift increase into the state of Arizona. And then somebody in the economic department of of Arizona then says, well, how much of that's going to Tucson and how much is that's going to go to Maricopa County and then how much are distributed to other counties. And then somebody, um, the organization is called the Pima Association of Governments, PAG, here in Tucson, takes those population projections and then they say where in Pima County are people likely to locate and where's new housing going to be constructed and all that sort of thing. And then at some level, those data then get to somebody like me, which was a transportation planner that would say, all right, if all of this stuff happens 
here's where the traffic is going to increase and here is where we need new roads. And I was actually, this is, so we would have these very, very complicated models. And I remember getting training and learning about the theory of modeling and all this sort of thing. And I remember sitting in a guy, he was from Wisconsin and he was a transportation modeler theorist. And he said, you know, if all of your projection, he went and said, here's the high end of your projection, the low end of projection. If they're all off, you could be off by as much as 80% on your projection. I remember sitting in the class thinking, well, if I'm off by 80%, that really isn't helpful whatsoever to anybody who's making projections about where this should go. And he says, well, you could be, but statistically, some of these errors are going to be high and some of these errors are going to be low. And it's probably a good gut check just to say where everything's going to happen. And I remember my, uh, well, all right, in my master's degree, because I was learning all this, one of the, one of the, products that I produced was going back 15 years and looking where we thought the population would increase to actually where it did increase. And I produced a report on that, submitted it to a class. And um, it wasn't actually that far off, which was surprising. We did a pretty good job of predicting, but in some areas we did a horrible job of predicting where the, where the increase in population was going to be. Because I've always been fascinated by the future. And like, how good is our projection of the future? And the fact is, it's projecting the future is not bad, but it is a, it is a it is an art form rather than a science, because nobody can project the future as as much as we want to project the future so that we can plan for the future and make make grand plans for how things are going to happen. For example, right now, people who are planning where the roads are probably are not taking into account the fact that we will probably have automated vehicles in the future. We might have spoken hub transportation systems because they're going to be more compatible with automated transportation in the future. Like people won't need to purchase a car. If we could have some sort of transportation system that takes us from Vail to downtown, then all we have to do is get to that hub, take this transportation to downtown and then get off and, and use automated vehicles at each end so that we can have you know the, the trip taken care of. Well, I, do, you th do you think they're planning for that in the transportation planning models? I guarantee you they're not because, because they just don't think be outside of the box in these sort of things. And I'm not blaming them. It's just that nobody can predict. It's easier to predict how things are, to project how things are going now than it is to project it might go this way or it might go that way or it might go that way. And there's just not enough resources to get us to transportation. This is, I'm sorry, this is getting very, very complicated. I apologize for that. But the bottom line is, is that you cannot predict the future. There are just, just too many unknowns about the future. And to think that you can predict the future is an act of arrogance beyond arrogance. Because we have some control over the future, but we don't have 100% control over the future. The only one who has control over the future is God himself. And he knows that there are going to be things that are going to disrupt our thinking on the future and what the future is going to look like that we, have, that we haven't even thought of yet. It's the unknown unknowns, right? It's the things that are so far out there that nobody even thinks about them, um, it's called the black swan events. There, there is a thing called a black swan in nature. It's so rare that nobody ever sees them, but they're there. And um, 
There are people that look at what are the black swan events? How is the stock market, how are these different things leveraged so that the stock market is healthy? And what are those one out of a 10 million events that could actually bring the whole economy crashing down? And there are people looking into those things, but they don't even know what, <laughs> what it is that, that could bring down the whole United States or world economy. And to think that we got it all figured out and all planned out is the height of arrogance, according to James. What we should do is make plans because God's told us to subdue the earth, but not leave God out of our plans. We as human beings are just a vapor or a mist. We have no control over anything. And God does. God created the universe. He set it in motion. And then he created us to be populated on this planet. And he's got a big, grander scheme of things that we just, as human beings, have no control of whatsoever. I guess I'll end with this. The, the people that look at astronomy say there's two ways the universe are going to end. It's either going to dissipate into nothingness, like, like uh, air coming out of a balloon that just dissipates and dissipates until there, there's just nothing, or... It at some point the universe ex, it could it contract you know expands, but then it gets to the outer limits and then it starts to come back in again like a like a massive shock wave that goes out and then it comes back in again and all the matter of the universe comes back into one little point uh, and then explodes again. Either of those things, mankind will not survive. It, it just won't. The only way that mankind survives either of those two events is if there is somebody outside of the universe that's loving and protecting us to keep us in his grace and in his grip through even the turmoils of the universe. And the great thing is we do have that. There is a God that created us, that loves us, and has promised that he will keep us in his arms and in his grip even long after we die whether it be for coronavirus or for something else, and that someday he will resurrect us and bring us into his pre presence and create something even better than what we have today. And that's a promise that he brings, that I cling to. So, uh, and that is a promise, that is a plan for the future that we can plan on and we do plan on. Everything else, we make our best shot and pray that it's in line with what God has. All right, so I think we'll end it there. That's uh, the end of James 13, uh, 4, chapter 13 through 17. Let's, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, in everything we do, align our plans with your plans and keep us ever in your grace until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.